Welcome. You are listening to the Mindful Minute, meditations created for everyday joy. I'm Meryl Arnett, mama, meditator, and head of mindfulness for Shoreline Meditation App. This podcast is recorded from my live Monday night meditation class, where we have a brief discussion followed by a 20-minute guided meditation. If these meditations support you and your practice, please consider donating to the show to support its continued growth, new offerings, and its ever-expanding team. You can find the link in today's show notes or simply visit merylarnett.com and click on podcast. All right, y'all, let's practice. Welcome, friends. I am very glad to have you tune in today. I am sharing one of the conversations that has just lit me up this month. I am so, so happy to introduce Deborah Eden Tull to the podcast today. Eden is a Dharma teacher, author, spiritual activist, founder of Mindful Living Revolution, and she works to bridge personal and collective awakening with relational intelligence. Eden trained for seven and a half years as a Buddhist monk at a silent Zen monastery. She's taught engaged Dharma for over 20 years, and she's lived in sustainable communities as an organic gardener and farmer. She celebrates the essential wisdom of nature, so you know we got along well. She has a new book out called Luminous Darkness, an engaged Buddhist approach to embracing the unknown. And y'all, I find this book to be the salve we need in this moment. Her invitation to shift our perception from one of seeking enlightenment to opening up to endarkenment is such a powerful gift. We talk about exactly what Eden means by endarkenment. We talk about the unique intersection that she asks us to sit at between meditative practice and inquiry, nature and social justice. We talk about the realm of dreams and the wisdom inherent within them. We talk about the overlighting of the planet we talk about rage and we talk about rage as a vital piece of who we are, how we practice and how we engage in the world with compassion. Y'all, this conversation moved me to tears not once, but twice. The practice at the end is spectacular. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Let's sit down, get cozy, and listen to this conversation all about luminous darkness. All right. Well, Eden, I am so happy to get to connect with you today. Thank you for taking time to chat. You're welcome. I'm really grateful to be here with you, Meryl. I have just spent the last maybe week and a half reading your new book, Luminous Darkness, An Engaged Buddhist Approach to Embracing the Unknown. And I feel like I probably have a list of a hundred questions I want to ask you, but I will take a breath and perhaps invite you just to tell us, the listeners, a little bit about who you are and how this book came to be your project. Sure. Yeah. First, I'll say that I feel tenderness in my heart in this moment, just 
reflecting on how much unknown there is to face mm. always in the human experience but especially in this day and age collectively so for listeners just bringing great compassion to the ways that life is asking you personally to face and meet the unknown um, to walk through the dark and also collectively and my hope ultimately in writing the book was to provide more support and inspiration and a fresh perspective so that we can navigate these times together in our communities and in how we relate with ourselves uh, with love uh, and grace. And so there's much I could share about how I got to be writing this book, but I would say it felt like a calling. It's my third book and it was on a retreat I was leading in Big Sur uh, 2018 towards the end of the year under a wildly dark night sky that I had a sort of a mystical experience which I speak about in the book pulling me into a kind of beyond words um, experience and transmission around the teachings of darkness and after that retreat i went to teach a second retreat in santa cruz and it came through me in a powerful way as i was leading the group i was guiding of how that the experience i had translates into what i talk about in the book as the need to open ourselves to endarkenment alongside enlightenment and part of it it is as simple as recognizing that in this unique day and age uh, we're experiencing not only the overlighting of planet earth literally a real pushing away of darkness physically and there are many impacts of that but also a kind of overlighting of human consciousness <laughs> a mm. real imbalance in a sense between the depth and deeper undercurrents of our internal experience and of the yin restorative aspects of being human versus the rational mind the sort of lamp of knowledge speed productivity there's a lot i could say about this but my my feeling on that retreat was you know we're facing so much collective grief and there's deep value to consciously grieving as we stay as present as we can and ask the questions we need to ask for how to be of service in these times and again how to meet these times how to meet the unknown with love and grace and so from that point i began the writing of this book and it was very new to me even the concept of endarkenment i had never heard that term before but it uh, meant something important to me from the very start it resonated with the whole trajectory of my buddhist practice and life experience as a woman as an activist of environmental and social justice as someone who's experienced loss and illness as someone who loves deeply and it wasn't until the um, year the pandemic first took off that I finished the book and there was something ultimately perfect about that 
unfolding. And it was sort of like a confirmation that year of the pandemic that some teaching about darkness, luminous darkness, darkness as a teacher, <laughs> not as something to be judged, rejected, or feared, that these teachings were really needed. I couldn't agree with you more. It feels like exactly, I mean, I can only speak from my own perspective, but for me, it feels exactly like the words I need to be reading in this moment. And I also had never heard the term endarkenment. I love the invitation to shift that awareness from perpetually seeking enlightenment and looking towards endarkenment. And the other thing that I want to highlight that you said that feels really important is that throughout this book, the thing that felt really different to me was that incorporation of the luminous and the way that you hold darkness and invite exploration of darkness. I, I wonder if maybe even I'm just thinking through like ways that I've heard this in the past. And I, I guess maybe without even noticing it, I think I've always perceived pay attention to darkness as a way to get to lightness, like yes. hurry and get through this. And your book does something really different. And it feels like a gift to have that invitation not to rush through. Thank you. Yeah. Not to rush through it, not to assume we need to turn away from it, to remember that wholeness as a human being requires a full embrace of light and dark yin and yang, that it's a full spectrum uh, of life. And yet there's so much human conditioning that points to, and I talk a lot about the unconscious biases we hold in this book, but that points to holding light as above dark. And just mm. to be clear, you know, my personal pursuit starting as a young person of enlightenment uh, changed and perhaps saved my life. And I'm pointing in this book to uh, something more, to being aware of some of the unconscious biases we hold, which can, if we're not careful, turn our pursuit of enlightenment into, again, trying to get to the light, an mm -hmm. end goal, attainment, uh, philosophy, or trying to understand our way. And there are so many wisdom traditions across the globe, and I share some of these examples in the book that have historically valued darkness, the divine darkness, you know, the luminous darkness as a great teacher. And even in my years of teaching meditation, certainly in my own path of practice, um, I spent seven and a half years as a Buddhist monk, there's a, an experience a lot of people have of noticing at some point a kind of innate fear of emptiness, uh, which we're invited to surrender fully to in meditation, by the way, but <laughs> emptiness perceived as the absence of something. And this is akin to the fear of darkness, darkness perceived as the absence of light. And it's this kind of binary perception that really takes away from uh, a more enriching and fully alive uh, awakening experience. I hope that makes sense. It does make sense. And I correct me, of course, if I'm not repeating this, but one of the things that I felt you emphasize was a letting go of that. It's this or that. 
Yes. It's it's one way, not the other way. There was uh, repeatedly, I felt that call, that reminder of, and actually one of the sentences that I highlight, I'm a huge underliner when it comes to reading <laughs> books. And one of the sentences I highlighted, because I felt like it was stated so clearly, you write, the point of meditation is not to replace our old beliefs with new ones, but to access perception that is free of beliefs. Yeah. And you know, it's it's so interesting the way we so easily, even if nobody says, take this new belief on, the way we assume that's what's happening, right? Oh, I'm I'm fixing myself and becoming different because now XYZ. Yes. Mm. Yes. Rather than dropping into surrendering to a much deeper center of knowing within our being. And this is uh, an ability to see clearly, to see life as it is, again, beyond the perception lens of this is better than that, Um, this is good, this is bad, to see life as it is, to see clearly from the heart. And one way I talk about it in the book is just considering, you know, as human beings, we need both light and dark. And just physically, uh, we use light to, you know, put thread through a needle to attend to details on a picture we're painting to, but light can become too much of our emphasis as the domain of discrimination and darkness invites us into just picture what happens when you close your eyes or are resting under the blanket of the night sky, an ability to see so much of the difference, the this or that, and instead see from the place within, this is inner vision, that sees this and that. You with me? I am with you. And I'm I'm jumping way out of order, but I'm going to go, gonna for, go it. for it. So you write, there is a good section that is dedicated to dreams. Mm-hmm. And as you were speaking, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm a big dream journaler. And as you were speaking, I was remembering having this dream where I walk outside and it, I know that my kids are outside and they're doing something I'm supposed to be paying attention to, but it's so bright, I cannot see them. <laughs> and when I close my eyes, all of a sudden I can see them perfectly. And when I woke up, the message that was so clear is sometimes closing your eyes lets you see better. I just remembered that as you were talking. That is so wild. I love that you shared that. That's a a perfect example. And in meditation, whether we're meditating with eyes closed or a soft gaze, which is the eyes fully relaxed in their sockets in a receptive rather than active mode, we have more access to this inner vision, to a different kind of seeing. It's a core aspect of meditation. And I would just add from what you shared that dreams are quite a theme uh, throughout the book. And it's interesting because in today's world, again, because we tend to hold rational mind as superior to intuition and imagination and more relational forms of knowing many people discount uh, their dreams they discount the dreamer within which we can experience both in daytime and nighttime consciousness and i'm also reminding people that 
darkness is the field of all possibility. If we're always emphasizing or caught or holding as superior who we are in the domain of light, then we're going to be holding on to egocentricity, uh, wake centricity, anthropocentricity, irrational mind focus, mm -hmm. <laughs> the human created world, and forgetting all of the strength we have to access all of the beauty and nourishment we have to access through the dreamer as well. Yeah. Yes. And then you take this invitation of dreaming and meditative inquiry and heart perception and things that I think it can be easy to feel are, um, what's the word I'm going to use? Ephemeral in some way. Yes. And you invite us to sit with all of that at the same intersection that we sit with our connection to the natural world, our connection to social justice and what is needed in this moment. And I think that's a pretty powerful place to ask people to sit, right? With things that feel ephemeral and dreamy with the very stark reality of the moment. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm asking people to sit in their wholeness. And that mm -hmm. includes uh, the practical and, again, the rational mind and the poetry and the dreamer. Uh, our, our whole, the full spectrum is needed for us to address the challenges we're facing today. We can't actually access fully our earth connection. We can't be awake to it unless we're including the full spectrum. And I would just offer that from my perspective and from years of being an activist, a teacher, and one who also guides a field of work called The Work That Reconnects, created by Buddhist philosopher and deep ecologist Joanna Macy, there's a completely practical aspect to dreams uh, and to working with dreaming consciously and to working with the imagination consciously. And I'm teaching a workshop just about this in November. I recently came from leading a retreat where we engaged in many practices for consciously using our imagination. And I'll name that theologian Martin Buber calls this moral imagination on behalf of the collective to reimagine uh, a world, a future beyond uh, the biases of patriarchy, to reimagine a future beyond racism, to reimagine uh, a future where we are living in more ecological balance. And there's just great practicality, <laughs> and it's the practicality of visionary activism, mm -hmm. of allowing for ideas and actions to come through us from a place beyond the limitations of our mind, regardless of what unfolds in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you specifically highlight in the intro, I believe that one of your primary goals with this book is to address spiritual bypassing. Mm -hmm. So let's bring that in while we're talking about this very tangible acts, uh, uh, point of engaging with the world is, uh, can you tell us a little bit for the listener, what is spiritual bypassing and what are we paying attention to in this moment with that? Sure. So we might think of spiritual bypassing as the 
use of spiritual practices or philosophies to just to justify turning away from pain of the world to justify turning away from the issues that we've inherited that are alive here today to be addressed and sometimes people experience spiritual bypassing just on a personal level of like oh there's a shadow arising in me that could be a phenomenal opportunity to work with because our shadows are ultimately doorways to uh, strengths that have been hidden but instead i'm going to try to just keep things light because my mm -hmm. spirituality is saying that i should appear to be mindful and content all the time or uh, keep things up because i'm trying to simply meet everything with a uh, being nice that i'm confusing with being kind does that make sense Yes, it yeah. does. And it yeah. makes me immediately go to the story you share in the book about Electra and fierce compassion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, um, I'm going to invite you to share a little bit of it with the listener, but I want to tell you, so I cannot relate in the sense that I've never lived in a monastery, which is where you experience this, but I can relate as I experienced my first child moving into toddlerhood. Yeah. And as that his little personality was coming out and suddenly I was not just taking care of a baby who did what I needed him to do, basically, I experienced mom rage for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I was already well into a meditation practice. And I thought, uh-oh, this is not okay. Like, I'm not supposed to feel rage. So when I read this story you share in the book, I was like, oh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've heard friends, uh, because I'm not a mom, talk about uh, mom rage. And what I would share is, you know, first, we're just so funny human beings. We're such a funny bunch. And we can turn things and we do like mindfulness into a set of standards how I should now look, how I should always be mindful and turn it into an exclusive practice. Mindful as a standard that includes my gentle parts within, but excludes my rage or things of that nature, right? Mm -hmm. And so I wrote about how when I was 26, I gave away my belongings, shaved my head, and moved to a Zen Buddhist monastery where I lived for the next seven and a half years. And in the first, uh, really this experience occurred within the first month there, there was some expectation that I'd be moving to the monastery and experiencing this great peace. And this was a silent monastery uh, in the wilderness, a wonderful place. And instead, I um, had arise a really, really angry part of me I had never come into conscious contact with. I had apparently always pushed away or maybe tried to erase. I had never been seen as an angry person nor seen myself. So I named her Electra because she felt electric with anger. <laughs> mm. And I talked about bringing the question to my teacher of uh, along with a lot of shame i'm so ashamed for bringing this darkness to the monastery and so ashamed this is what's coming up how do i meet this and with absolute non-judgment absolute acceptance you know she she said okay 
Electra is here and she perhaps has never before had the opportunity to be met in friendship. She perhaps has never before been allowed to fully come up in this way so that you can listen to her, so that you can sense what her message is, so that you can be with, which is what we're practicing, being with. And it was an incredibly healing and transformative experience. And I really got to see that, you know, there's a difference between things that come up for us that are like, oh, I'm just kind of pissed off because I'm, I'm not getting what I want today. Like we all navigate our ego that sometimes comes up in dissatisfaction, but this was uh, collective outrage. This was the anger of my ancestral lineage. This was anger on behalf of our world. This was anger that's medicinal that's medicine that I sensed needed to come through me and needed to be felt and that empowered me and changed me for the rest of my life. So it's just fascinating that so many people are taught that anger is bad and not given healthy models for how to navigate and be a vessel for the healing medicine of anger. So how to transmute it into compassionate action. And this is certainly something that I, um, teach today and am so inspired <laughs> how many people get to recognize so much more vitality and life force and courage and love and willingness to act on behalf of consciousness when they've met fire energy in this way. Yeah. Yeah. And Eden, you do something so interesting because you talk about rage, fire, and compassion at the same time. Can you get more granular with that? Sure. Well, the weekly meditation group I guide, my Sangha is called the Fierce Compassion Sangha. Mm. And I feel strongly that we need to have free access to both gentle and fierce compassion. It's the image of perhaps in, on one side, uh, an open, receptive hand, the energy that knows how to serve by listening, by holding space, by doing nothing but being with another or ourselves, life force. And the other hand, uh, in Buddhism referred to as Manjushri sword, which cuts through delusion. Uh, which knows how to set conscious boundaries, which a lot of people are not trained in today, which knows how to set conscious boundaries with our own conditioned mind to say, I know where this thought goes. I've witnessed it before and it takes me deep into delusion and I'm not going there. And we need access to both. In today's world, there is so much intergenerational trauma, uh, so much trauma, that has been passed down for so many generations that from a compassionate heart, there's a place of, yes, uh, I'm here to serve in this time, to meet with love, the opportunity for collective healing of this time, to give myself to it. And my rage, my fire energy, is part of the mix, an innate, important part of the mix. I need to be willing to feel my rage and grief for the injustices I see, feel, that's a key word here, feel, metabolize through the 
instrument of my body, the alchemical instrument of my body, not think about and get into polarized conversations about. But there's a very beautiful medicinal bouquet of compassion, rage, or anger, and our inner fire, fire mm. energy. Thank you for asking about that. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You early in the book, you use the metaphor of walking off trail through a dense forest as the invitation for our journey into endarkenment. And I wonder if you might talk a little bit about that visual about, you, you know, you mentioned the overlighting of the world, like this very um, nature-based lens that you weave into the book. Yeah, yeah. I I find that anthropocentrism, <laughs> an assumption that the human world is the primary world and this made-up world that we've created is center, uh, is one of the most disruptive and sort of most humorous delusions that's sort of held by the dominant paradigm. And another way to put it is, in my experience, the more through meditation and meditation as a way of life, we are willing to let go of the illusion of separation, of the trance of separation. We experientially understand we might at first get it as a thought but we experientially understand ourselves as part of Gaia consciousness as non-separate from everything as one with all of nature as nature and the metaphor of walking off trail in a dark dense forest which I draw from as some of the barefoot walks that my husband and I like to take together through the woods in the mountains of Western North Carolina. It puts us into our bodies. There's no set trail to follow. I'm using that as a metaphor for these times or even for one spiritual path. There's no brightly lit path with signs go this direction. We have to drop deep within our earth bodies open all of our senses and the deeper senses that are part of seeing in the dark in order to navigate the way moment by moment, in order to let ourselves be guided by life rather than guided and directed by the egocentric mind of separation. So there's a lot I could say about this, and I I want to share just what will be most accessible to listeners, but there are funny old stories um, that still impact both Buddhism and the modern mindfulness movement that can at times turn it into a practice that actually separates uh, mind and body more than integrates. Mm -hmm. And Endarkenment really advocates for waking down into our bodies and our bodies as the center for relational intelligence. We're not excluding the mind, but it's the fact that meditation allows an integration of body, mind, spirit, that we can't really understand until we have direct experience of it. Yeah, you. Um, my eyes just got so teary <laughs> listening to you talk. It's so beautiful. 
I, that, that metaphor just lands so strongly for me. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. You're welcome. I really feel that, especially that invitation to think about this moment as a moment of walking off trail that just feels very true. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you. Even I could talk to you all day. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to be mindful of our time and listeners' time. And I wonder if you would be willing to share with us a short practice that we could do together. Sure. And and first, I just want to express my thanks. I love what I call the art of the question. And I feel that you've asked great questions today. Mm-hmm. And I love the art of emergent conversation, being present today together and seeing what unfolds. One of the things I do in life is guide a program that's six months called The Heart of Listening. Uh, training and mentorship, and we deeply explore uh, inquiry and the art of the question and Mm. emergence. And so I simply wanted to thank you for that. And before we move into a practice, I'd like for people listening to find a comfortable, relaxed position to take a moment first to Feel your connection with gravity, the spirit of gravity always inviting us home to this moment, to this physical place we're resting in. And to close your eyes. And as you take in three of the deepest and slowest breaths you've taken today. Just notice how it feels to rest in darkened stillness. Noticing perhaps how when we close our eyes some of our other senses beyond vision become more accessible. And as you allow your breath to return to its natural rhythm, just notice what that is and give yourself permission to do nothing but rest here. Allowing the breath to breathe you. Feeling the support of the earth below. And I invite you now to imagine that you are sitting or resting here beside a window. And this is a window not to the light of day, but a window to darkness. Just sensing how it feels 
to be here next to the divine darkness, perhaps feeling excitement, the sense of possibility you feel when looking up at the night sky. Noticing how it feels to presence, the darkness from which we all came and to which we will all return, the darkness from which all of light arises. And allowing this darkness to represent the unknown, the mystery, just staying present to whatever arises inside of you as we do this and holding yourself in compassion. I invite you to offer in whatever way feels authentic for you, an expression of reverence, respect, loving kindness to the unknown, to the mystery itself. Perhaps resting a hand on your heart while you do this. Continuing to feel your breath breathing you while you send loving kindness, while you express respect towards the mystery. And then gently shift and just notice how it might feel to ask for loving kindness from the mystery from the darkness, from the unknown. And resting in receptivity, just allow yourself to receive any expression of kindness that wants to come through. Please take in now another deep breath. Just recognizing the presence of the unknown in your own life and perhaps recognizing or affirming your willingness to meet the unknown with respect, with love, with reverence. So we'll take in now one more deep, full body breath together, breathing in and letting go, continuing to feel your connection with the earth. You can now very gently open your eyes and just notice what it's like to transition back 
to the visual field, noticing how you feel. And perhaps after listening to this, making any notes that might be useful about your experience in this meditation. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I so clearly heard the words from Rilke, love the questions themselves, like locked doors and books written in a very foreign tongue. I just, that just came screaming through to me <laughs> somewhere in the middle of that practice. That was so lovely. Ugh. You're welcome. Rilke was definitely an inspiration in this book. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> uh, Eden, tell us where we can find more about you. I know you do lots of retreats and offerings. Where can we find Luminous Darkness? Sure. So Luminous Darkness will be released on September 27th by Shambhala. I'm not sure what day this podcast will be shared. But I'm really looking forward. We're just a couple of weeks away. And you can find me at DeborahEdenToll.com. And so I offer my teachings both online, weekly meditation group, workshops, and retreats, and in person. As of last year, we've gotten back to residential retreats, uh, which have been just beautiful. And I offer a couple longer trainings, like The Heart of Listening. And if you visit my website, you'll find myriad ways to connect with me. We're going to be having a monthly Luminous Darkness gathering uh, starting soon. And feel free to reach out to let me know how uh, the book is impacting you, has touched you. I love building community, whatever I'm doing, wherever I go. So don't be a stranger, and thank you so much for listening today. Thank you. And listeners, all of these links will be in the show notes for you to find more about Eden and the book Luminous Darkness. Thank you again, Eden. Take good care. Thanks for listening to the Mindful Minute. If you're enjoying these episodes, please consider leaving me a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps others to find the show. To learn more about my live classes, virtual meditation retreats, my meditation app Shoreline, or to make a donation to the show, please visit MerylArnett.com. Thanks again. I'll see you next week.